0: John chapter 4, this is the woman at the well. The woman at the well comes when it's the heat of the day, when everyone's on their siesta. And because of that, the Lord Jesus must needs go through Samaria. Listen to me, this one woman. And this woman's life is changed because she learns about worship. You see, the life is changed when the Christian learns about Worship. Worship isn't a sing-along. Worship isn't a sing-song. Worship is from deep within. Deep, deep within. Worship is the very depths of the innermost being. Being illuminated, enlightened, and quickened by the Holy Spirit and outpouring itself like water that cannot be gathered again in a sacrifice onto the great eternal Spirit our Heavenly Father. Worship is given all that He means to you back to Him. Back to Him. Many places will find that people come and they'll sing a song and They'll sit down and there's nothing there. Their heart is far from him as they honor him, as it were, with their lips. When really all they're doing is making themselves not look too bad in the company of others. See, I'm trying, I'm singing. Not worship. It's not worship. Worship is to love the Lord your God with all your heart. Notice all your heart with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. To worship him is to say you are first. To worship Christ is to say you are above all others. You are above all else. There is none else beside you. There is no second. And there's none can come close to thee. And so I give it all to you. Everything that I have, all that I am, is worship. Worship from the heart Worship from the depths of one's being. It's you, your inner you, breathing yourself into the bosom of your heavenly Father in praise. It's the real you, the inner you, breathing yourself into the bosom of your heavenly Father in prayer. And it's you, The inner youth, your deep regions of your innermost being, pouring yourself out before God in service because He is worth it to you. That's worship. That's worship. A.W. Tozer said this. We are here to be worshippers first. And workers only second. We take a convert and immediately make him a worker. God never meant it to be so. God meant that a convert should learn to be a worshiper. After that he can learn to be a worker. The work done by a worshiper will have eternity in it. So when you and I learn to worship him, that is what must come first. To love him, to worship him in the spirit. With your spirit. From your spirit. R.A. Tory before we just read our opening scripture... R.A. Torrey said, and I think this is beautiful, worship is adoring contemplation of God. I want to say it again because it's beautiful. Worship, what is it? Worship is adoring contemplation of God. Even to sit in the quiet and read his word. For him to speak to you through his word. For one verse from one line From one word, to stand out like a Spurgeon said, to jump at you like a lion from behind a thicket. To grab you, to lay hold on you, to arrest you. For your heart to rejoice in it. It means your, your heart is overwhelmed by him. Your heart is encouraged by it. So your soul lives upon it. Your soul lives upon what he's given you. And you love him for it. You adore him for it. And your contemplation about him is sitting in those times or standing or walking wherever you are, just in those times of contemplation about all that he's done for you, all that he gives to you, everything that he means to you. And your heart starts to rejoice. Your heart starts to be enlightened. And you just start to praise him from the depths of your being because he is the love of your life. Oh, let Christ be the love of your life. My husband's the love of my life. Then you're wrong. My wife is. You're wrong. My children, you're wrong. Christ first. Everyone and everything else comes into place. So, so The woman is at the well at the heat of the day when all are in a siesta. In other words, they're in the shade or they're resting, whatever they're doing. She's had five husbands, dear love the woman. And nobody wants her. Sometimes, you know, people feel like that. who am I? nobody wants me nobody cares about me that's right I'm a woman with five husbands and I just come out in the heat of the day to escape everybody you know just so as they can stay at home and I, they won't make fun of me well it says Jesus must needs go through some area why? to meet this woman to meet her That's why he went. And he says, I know all about you. Go and get your husband. She says, I haven't got any. She says, I know. You've had five and you're living with another one. He's not your husband either. Number six is there. But you know the number of perfection in the Bible is number seven. She met man number seven at the well. Man number seven stood before her. And she says, come see a man that told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? We must remember, she doesn't say he is the Christ because she knows that. She's met him. She asks those of Samaria, the Samaritans, she says, is he not the Christ? You make your own mind up. Is he not? To me, he is. To me, he is Messiah. To me, he is my saviour. That's why it means so much. That's what worship is about, is to realize the grace that you've been saved under, the depths of his mercy toward you. And that is what causes the heart to rejoice and to worship and to give him back because of what he has completed, accomplished, and done for every one of us and continues to do. So this woman has a conversation about worship. A conversation about worship with the Lord Jesus. I would love, just love to be, as it were, a fly on the wall of that well. Just to listen. Jesus, tell me how to worship right. Just show me Lord. So let's just read from verse 19. The woman says to him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship, you know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. And when he has come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. Now we're told that Jesus did not come as Messiah. Even evangelical preachers have said that in their books told that he's not God Jesus said I am the Messiah Mm -hmm. see the word he I trust you're reading the proper translation of the word of God the King James Bible but the word he is in italics you know why because it's not in the original script but it's put there to help our English translation and the flow of the the flow of the lettering and the flow of the English language. And he says to her, I that speak unto thee arm." he. Take out the italics from, uh, uh, for the original language. He says, I that speak unto thee am. He says, I am. That's what he said. You know what that means? When Moses was in the backside of the desert, in Exodus chapter 3, he sees the burning bush and he goes to the burning bush and he's told Moses, take thy shoes from off thy feet for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Then he tells him he'll send him to Egypt on the Pharaoh and he asks, who will I say sent me? When they ask me, he says, I am. And that I am has sent me. He's God. The word worship, the English word worship, is mentioned 108 times in the Bible. It's actually 108 times in 102 verses. The first mention of the word, now the word worship, not the act of worship, but the word worship is found in Genesis chapter 22. And it's to do with Abraham sacrificing or going to sacrifice his son Isaac. Listen to what it says, Genesis 22 and verse 5, And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. That's the first mention of the English word worship. The word there. uh, for worship is the hebrew word shachah, and it's actually mentioned in chapter 18 where remember the three as it were angels came to the tent door before going on the sodom and the middle one was the lord the l-o-r-d he wasn't an angel he was a theophany of god an angelic as it were an appearance of god with two angels And Abraham, of course, kills uh, the calf and makes them something to eat. And the two angels go on to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, when they came up, we're told Abraham bowed himself to the ground before the Lord. He fell on the ground before him. And that's the word for worship. Okay? So, Abraham says, I and the lad will go up here and we're going to do an act of worship unto the Lord. Now, we're coming back again. So this word Shaka for worship in the Hebrew, the primitive root means to depress. In other words, to get yourself down as though you're smaller. It means to prostrate yourself, to sink down, to stoop, to humble oneself in order to honor the greater. That's what Abraham was speaking of doing. So, Here's four wee things for you to write down. Four wee points. First of all, worship is personal. You must worship yourself. You cannot write in the coattails of someone else. Worship must come from you. Now forget about your friends. Forget about who's beside you, who's behind you. Forget about the team that's playing up here. and that Worship must be Personal from you secondly worship can be in public you have worship in private but you also have worship in public we call it corporate worship when we all get together all of us and the problem is sometimes we look around to see who's worshiping and who isn't Sometimes we look to see who's praying and who's not. Sometimes we look to see whose eyes are closed and whose eyes are open. And when you look to see and see somebody's eyes are open in prayer, well, what are yours doing open to see them? It must be personal. It can be in public. It's called. It's called uniform in worship. It's a corporate anointing that comes on a meeting when we're there in worship. Thirdly, worship is demonstrative. Worship is demonstrative. Abraham had to build an altar. Abraham had to tie his son on it. Abraham had to lift a knife as he cried unto God. It's demonstrative. And fourthly, Worship costs. It's an offering. Cost. Psalm ninety-five verse six says this. Oh come. Notice the the call of it. It's not just it's just not like we'll go. Come on. Come on, we'll go and do this, you know? Come on, we'll just go to church. No, it's the desire, it's the heart. It's everything within says, oh, come. It's a call. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Let us kneel before Yahweh, Jehovah, the one who has made us. So now notice worship is being directed. And we're going to look at this more, this direction. For example, in Psalm 99 in verse 5, it says, Exalt ye the Lord our God, or exalt, that the worship is directed at a person, at a certain way, to a certain place. Exalt ye the Lord our God, or exalt ye Yahweh our Elohim. Yahweh or Elohim. Elohim is when God created the heavens and the earth. It means God and his pluralistic of majesty. Our God can do many things. Show himself in many ways. Burning bushes. Pillar of cloud. Pillars of fire. Theophany as a man. But yet. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is our Yahweh, our Elohim, is one Yahweh. He's one. Exalt the Lord our God and worship. Notice we're at his footstool. For he is holy. So here we're worshiping a certain way, to a certain one, at a certain place, from a certain avenue. And that is his footstool. If you in the same psalm, Psalm 99, go to verse 6. Exalt ye the Lord our God. Same as verse 5. And worship at his holy hill. I maybe give you the wrong verse, did I? Verse 9, pardon me. And worship at his holy hill. Do you notice that? For the Lord our God is holy. In verse 5, we're worshipping at his footstool. Then in verse 9, we're worshipping at his holy hill. What's the difference? What does it mean? And we will bring this into New Covenant worship, New Testament worship. But the pattern of it here is for you and I, even in this New Covenant relationship with Christ. The footstool means Sitting at his feet. Come to the place where he rests his feet. Like Mary he sat in the house. And Martha was cumbered about with much serving. And Mary sat and listened to the words at his feet. And there he says, this thing will never leave her. Sitting at the feet of Christ. And we must... Be at his footstool before we can be in his holy hill. Footstool is the place of humility. The holy hill is the place of holiness. Let's look at the footstool for a moment. First Chronicles chapter twenty eight. First Chronicles chapter 28, please. Verse 1. And David assembled all the princes of Israel, the princes of the tribes, and the captains of the companies that ministered to the king by course. The captains over hundreds, and the captains over over thousands, pardon me, and the captains, over hundreds, and the stewards, over all the substance and possession of the king and of his sons, with the officers and with the mighty men and with all the valiant men unto Jerusalem. Notice, then David the king stood upon his feet and said, Hear me, my brethren, my people. As for me, I had in mine heart to build an house of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord and for the footstool of our God and had made ready for the building, and God said unto me, Thou shalt not build a house for my name, because thou hast been a man of war and hast shed blood. David said, I wanted to build a place for the rest of the Ark of the Covenant. See, that's very important, you see, it's for this footstool, he says. The Ark of the Covenant is God's footstool. Now remember in the Old Testament is really everything that's happened, this foreshadows and types of Christ and his new covenant to come. And so the Ark of the Covenant was a type of something. It was like a parable. We can learn from that as well. So go with me then to Psalm 132. And let your eye run down just. I'll just lift out a couple of verses. Verse 7 and 8. We will go into his tabernacles. We will worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, into thy rest, thy and the ark of thy strength. Notice what he says here. We will go into thy tabernacles. We will worship at his footstool. Now when David uh, is writing this the psalmist, as a psalmist, he he said, we will go to the. This is the tabernacle that was lifted and moved with Israel. Because by this time, God said, had said, you know, Moses, way before, you're going to have to build a tabernacle, a tent, in other words, in the desert. And there you'll have the outer court, and then you'll have a big curtain, and you'll have the, the, the first chamber, as it were. And then you'll have, it's called the holy place. And then you'll have the holy of holies behind the second one. There's a second room behind that. And it wasn't a massive thing. The whole area there was only 15 foot long. 15 foot high we're told. And the thing was about 13 foot wide. It wasn't a big place. In the middle of the nation with it surrounding them. And there was the tabernacle. And in that sat the Ark of the Covenant. A wooden box covered with gold. And the Lord says, Moses. You go to that place and build it for me in the desert and let it follow you wherever you camp, wherever Israel stops. He says, I will meet you there. And I'll speak to you there. Now, it was the, the high priest then who was Aaron, his brother, was able to go into the holy place. But at that tabernacle, God met and spoke with him, with Moses. And the idea is here, we're coming from the outer court. We're singing our songs, Lord. We're, we're doing it. We're doing our bit. We've come into church, as it were. But if you really want to know what it's more to be like, a priest unto God, start walking through the next field. The presence of the Lord gets stronger. But if you really, really want to know him, If you really desire to see His glory, well, you gotta be like Aaron and walk into the Holy of Holies. And that's what really Gordy had prayed tonight. You know, we have entered into not just singing a song. It's not even about clapping your hands or all of that. It's about, in your spirit, entering into that place where God says, I'll meet you. I'll meet you there. I'll speak with you there. So David says, or the psalmist says, we'll enter this tabernacle. Do you see in the whole of space above us, the whole of the atmosphere around us, you see the whole of the planet and every country that's on this planet Earth? Do you see in the vastness of this globe that we live on, the only place you could find the truth of the living God and his presence was in that little room in the whole place, outside of God's heaven. Outside of his heaven was that wee room. If you want to worship, if you want to worship, he says, I'm here. I'm here. If you want to come to my footstool, the Ark of the Covenant, inside the Ark were three things. There was the, uh, the tablets of stone where the Ten Commandments were written on. There was the, uh, the stick of iron's rod that budded, blossomed and bloomed. And, and there was the pot of manna there. And you see, all of it spoke of Christ that was to come because he says uh, the Christ kept the law and the prophets that we couldn't keep. He was the bread of life, the manna which has come down from God, from heaven, he said. But what about the old stick that budded, blossomed and bloomed? Well, it's simple. A stick broken away from a tree dies, doesn't it? It becomes an old stick. There's no life in it. But that stick laid down in the very presence of God. That stick laid down in faith, started to bud, to blossom and to bloom. You know what that speaks of? Glorious resurrection. Amen. From death unto life. All in Christ. All in Christ. And the Lord says, if you want this, this is my footstool. Worship me here. Listen, that speaks of Calvary. Worship me because you're not under the curse of the law. He has kept the law for you. He says, worship me because my son gave his body to be broken on the tree. This is my body which is broken for you, he says, as he breaks the bread. Worship my son because he is the resurrection and the life. So there's reasons to worship. There's a reason for you to come into his immediate presence. Directly into his presence. So we worship at his footstool. Isaiah sixty six. Isaiah chapter sixty six. First one. Thus saith the Lord. Or thus saith Yahweh. This is your God, your maker, your creator. Thus saith the Lord. The heaven is my throne. And where? The earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you build unto me? And where is the place of my rest? You know what God is saying here? I can't be contained in a little box. I can't be contained in a little room or a tent or a tabernacle. By this time, it's a great temple. I can't be contained in it. Where would you set me? He says, the whole earth is like my footstool. In other words, the glory of the Lord will be made known as the waters cover the sea. He says, I'm in the heavens ruling. I am God. But my feet, as it were, my footstool. You see, the, the footstool speaks uh, in in old covenant times as a theocratic government of God. You know, we talk about the kingship of God. But you know, Israel didn't have a king. They were a theocratic nation, not a, democrat, not a democracy. Democracy is also man-made. Democracy is just the best of the bad bunch. That's about the height of it. It was a theocratic nation. What do we mean? It means, Theo means God. It means it was God ruled the nation. God ruled all. God ruled the people. But they wanted a king. Isn't that right? To be like the others. And then of course they chose Samuel, but God chose David. And from there, God's choice is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's saying, he says, look, you have my law. You have everything I've given to bless you. There's my footstool. You see, God's blessing is in every meeting. Listen, brother, listen, sister. God's blessing is in every meeting. Whether it's meeting corporately together or whether it's meeting on your own in the closet. Whether it's corporate or closet, the blessing is yours. You must worship Worship isn't standing outside the tabernacle or the temple. Worship isn't just coming and sitting in the seat of the congregation. No, worship is the heart. Let me go a little further. The footstool. We have it as the temple is the footstool. The ark of the covenant in the temple is the footstool. And the earth is the footstool. So really we're at his feet. Then he says in verse 9, Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy hill. The holy hill means the sacred place. Not secret, not secret. But the sacred place. But here's the thing. Do you know where you find your way to the sacred place? In the secret place. What's the secret place? The place where you go, just you and him. You'll find yourself starting to ascend into the hell of the Lord. You start ascending into His presence. You come to know Him more. You come to hear His voice. You come to understand Him more. The sacred place, it means the hallowed place. And really, they looked at this as the actual hill of Zion, where they went up to the temple. When you're reading through the Psalms next time, you'll read of the Song of the They used to sing these songs going up to the temple. And what they were doing is they were singing them, and then they were ascending every step. They were up in steps. And up they went again. And they believed they were being elevated into the presence of God to go into the temple to the Holy of Holies. But God said, Church of you, God says of CET or wherever else, God says that you and I can walk straight in. Worship him. Love him. So the conversation about worship in John chapter 4, let's look at it. So from verse 20 to verse 24 the word worshipped worshipped is mentioned once the word worshippers is mentioned once and the word worship is mentioned eight times so ten times in total they speak about worship for example the word worship here in the New Testament now, in the New Testament, is a word proskuneo. Proskuneo. We really need to look at it to get a good grip on it. But in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 2, it's the first time the English word worship is used. The first time the English word in the New Testament. And it's when the wise men come. And they're looking for the Lord Jesus. And they say, Where is he that is born, the king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and they're come to worship him. Now here's the point of interest. We're still in the Old Covenant. This is still Old Testament, although it's in your New Testament. But they're really in the Old Covenant because Christ hasn't died and risen again to ratify the New Covenant and to bring it in. So they're still in the Old Covenant. So really, if they wanted to worship, they should have went to where? The temple in Jerusalem. They should have went to where they believed God was. But they didn't. But they didn't. Their point, their direction, as I mentioned earlier, of worship was changing. Whereas he is born of king of the Jews, for we have seen his star in the east, and come to worship him so the wise men though still under the old covenant did not go to the temple to worship but rather they went in a certain direction to a certain person to worship in truth notice the truth the word proskuneo for the it's in the, uh, the new testament is mainly written in greek there's some aramaic words but it's mainly written in greek and the uh, The word proscuneo is made up of two words. The first word is pros, P-R-O-S. It means simply to go towards, to go to one with regards to something, to go in a certain direction. So let's look. I'm going to stick with Matthew so we can flick through it quickly because time is flowing. Matthew's gospel, please. I could show you many of these, but just for tonight. Matthew chapter 3, please. Let's just look at this for a moment, just to give you an idea of what this word "pros," as in "proskuneo," means. Chapter three and verse five. It speaks of those who coming out to John the Baptist. It says, "Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan." The term here "went out to him" is the same word "proskuneo," or pardon me, it's the same word "pros." From Proscuneo. They knew where they were going to a certain direction. They went to the wilderness to hear this man preaching. They were fixed and they were set where they were going. Verse five, pardon me, verse ten. John the Baptist says, now also, and now also the axe is laid onto the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. John the Baptist is speaking of the temple worshipers here. He's speaking of the Pharisees. And notice he says the axe is led where? To the root of the tree. The word for axe is led to the root. It is the word pros. Again, it means the axe will be placed in a certain part of Right at the very root. Be, in other words, the tree's being cut down, plucked up by the roots. That tree is the fig tree that represented jury, J E W R Y. So here comes the axe, and what would that axe be? The axe would be the death, burial, resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ after they turned him away. Verse thirteen. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to John, Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. Now Jesus is pointed in a certain direction. The baptism of Christ who fulfill all righteousness. He's going a certain direction. He's headed right to John the Baptist, right into the river Jordan. Can you see that direction? I'm trying to strengthen this for you. I'm just showing you these to give you an example of what this word worship really means a certain direction, Jesus says, I'm going to John. And then in verse 14, but John forbade him saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and thou comest to me. You have deliberately set yourself upon me. Approached me. Come toward me. Let's go to chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Here's one. Verse 28. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. The idea here is that Jesus doesn't do away with the law or the Ten Commandments of God. He amplifies it. He amplifies it. People say it was done away with. No, he fulfilled it, but he amplified it to let you see just how much we really do sin. And the term here is, but I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after, the idea is whoever keeps staring that direction. Like a man just looking, burning holes into a woman with lust. It's the same word, cross. Chapter 6, please. Verse 1. Verse 1 says, Jesus says, Take heed that ye do not your alms before men to be seen of them, otherwise ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. You know what Jesus is saying? If you do your alms before men, it means you're doing it that men can see you. Look what I've done. I have given so much. I have done so much. Look how great I have been to him or to her. Your alms, your charities, your deeds. And Jesus says, you're doing it that that direction will come to you. That people will look directly at you. And he says, you've lost your reward in heaven because you've already got your reward of men for that's what you wanted. People don't read these things anymore, should they don't? You don't hear these things in church anymore. Jesus said that. That's the same. He says you want that directed completely at you. Okay. Chapter ten. We're almost through these in Matthew, in verse six. Jesus said to his disciples, "But go rather to the lost sheep." Of the house of Israel. He's telling them what way to go. What about all the other people? He says never mind them for now. You go to the ones I send you. Here's who it is. See how direct it is. Chapter 11 verse 28. We should know this. Off by heart. Jesus said, "Come unto me, all ye that labour and heavy laden, and I will give you rest." The idea is, fix yourself on me. Come to me. Forget everybody else. Directly to me. Pross Come right to me. When you're labour, heavy you laden, and I'll give you rest. Because we do run to others. He says, "Come to me. Fix yourself in me." Invest your all in me. Make me your goal. Make me the target of your affection. Chapter 13. This is the last one of these in Mark. And verse 30. He speaks of the end of the age or the end of the world as people would call it. Let your eye run down, please, to verse 30. Let both grow together until the harvest. This is his coming again. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, gather ye first the tares, bind them in bundles, to burn them and gather the wheat into my barn. See the idea to bundle? It means fix yourself on them angels, on those particularly, and bind them up. Forget about the saved. People say the saved are going up and, and they're going to be taken away. The Bible doesn't tell you that. It says the saved are coming to earth and the earth and the wicked are being taken away. That's what the Bible tells us, but we're totally opposite. <laughs> okay. So proskuneo. Pros, as we have it means to fix that direct. And kuno or is the second part of the word simply means this. We haven't got a big lot of scriptures to look at. you know what it means? Dog. That's what says. What? Go towards the dog? Here's the idea of it. It means that you and I are to come toward God. We're to bow in reverence. We're to love him with affection. With all that we have. Fixed completely on him and on no one else none matters there's none other that'll count but him where does dog come into well my big dog Harley Davidson when I come in he's an outside dog he doesn't like being in but he in for 5 minutes or 10 minutes he wants back out again Sometimes I'll be sitting at the kitchen t- table and maybe one of the girls or Alison has been up and out the back and he's run in and he stands at the garage sort of door looking into the kitchen, you know. And if I, go, if I give him the nod to come in, he flies in and he just lies right beside my leg and he just looks at my, with his head against my arm and he just stares into my house. I get more eye to eye contact with a dog than I do to my wife and children. <laughs> Alison's past all that mushy stuff, you know. But he does, and I know he just loves me. And even the girls would say, Here, Harley, here, Harley. And he's just not really interested. He's just eyes for me. <laughs> Praise God, something else. <laughs> So I would just sit and I would just stroke him and feed him the wee bit. No, here, take that wee bit. And he just lies looking at me. And if I get up to go, he's ready to go. Everywhere I go to turn, he's turning with me. He's running, jumping around in circles and he nudges me with his nose and he sits looking at me and he rolls over, scratches my belly and he licks my hand and he just wants to, he just wants to show me he loves me. That's the idea of this. That's where dog comes into it. What do you like in worship? Jesus, there's nobody but you. The room may be full of others. And the world may declare there's other gods who are not gods, but for me, Jesus, there's nobody else but you. Worship. That's how it's, it's worship. The last mention of the word worship or prostratio in the New Testament is, that is the English word, as found in Revelation chapter 22, verses 8 and 9, where John goes to worship the angel. First 9, the angel says these words. Two words that matter. He tells him, Worship God. Just worship him. Not an angel. No angel worship. No saint worship. Worship God. you have listened to me for near an hour now, so I'm going to have to quit here because I've enough to do me maybe next week. Let me give you a brief story on this John chapter 4 and I'll stop there and I'll do a second part, God willing, next week. The woman who Jesus meets at the well, they have a conversation and worship. This woman is from, she's a Samaritan. You see, they're at the foot in Samaria. She meets a Samaritan woman who is at the foot of Mount Gerizim. Now, Mount Gerizim today would be be sort of north-west by um, not the Gaza Strip, the other Jennifer, you should know that not the Gaza Strip, what do you call the other wee bit of it? The West Bank Mount Garizim is in the West Bank today that's in today's language now they're at the foot of this and he meets this woman, talks about worship. And she says, but our fathers worshipped in this mountain. You say we have to worship in Jerusalem. Well, we got it more next week. But you see, what had happened was, the house of Israel was taken away captive. With telling you that. I keep telling you because it's important to get it into you. know who's talking to who and where. And you know what happened? They started to bring people from Babylon and all those countries over. And they populated all around the north. Right into where the West Bank is today. They weren't Israel. Israel were there and gone. Judah still has been there. Babylon and back again. Jesus is now there. And see, they hated the Jews and the Samaritans. Hated each other. Reminds you a wee bit of today, doesn't it? Really, what? Hated each other. They believe, because of other bloodlines, they can't go through it now, that they were still related to Abraham. Just like Islam believe they related to Abraham and so on. And so this woman is at the bottom of the well. There's a possibility that some of the remnant of the escapees of Israel maybe were married or mixed marriage or whatever there. But we're not told that. And there were two mountains. There's Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. And Moses, in Deuteronomy 11, says there's two mountains. Have your choice. There's one of blessing, which is Gerizim, and he blesses that mountain. And here, the other mountain here. He says this to Israel now. He says, This mountain, Ebal, this is the mountain of cursing. What mountain do you want to live on? What mountain do you want to choose to walk in? Is it the one of blessing or the one of cursing? I know which one I want. But then, because of all of this happened, all the fathers, as they call them, went up into the mountain to worship. It was a big mountain top city and all theirs. But the other place of worship was in Jerusalem. That was the real place of worship. By the way, Jerusalem was the capital way back then. Jerusalem isn't a capital because Donald Trump said it. And they're saying, if you want to worship right, it's in Jerusalem. You just don't have it. So Jesus steps into the picture. And we'll look at this next week. He says, there's a time coming. It's already here. It's just around the corner. i will be no longer on in Jerusalem. i will be no longer up the mountain. But those who worship the Father in spirit and in truth will worship him everywhere they go. So tonight we can worship him here. In this room we can worship him on our own. We can worship him from the closet to the corporate meeting. We're going to look at the what the New Testament says about them we will look more at well, Jerusalem and the temple and then it being obsolete because of what Jesus said and what Jesus has accomplished in Calvary. And the book of Hebrews, do you know what the book of Hebrews is for? Because there were those who had come to saving faith. Hebrews or Jews or Israelites had been, come to saving faith. And you know what happened? They started thinking, maybe it would be an easier life to go back to the Old ways. So the Hebrew writer says no. He starts to list Jesus is better than, Jesus is better than, Jesus is better than, Jesus, the whole book of Hebrews is about Jesus is better than everything and everyone. God willing, we'll look at that next week.